much love. so good i got a new mic hey yeah it's real clean i love it mm -hmm. i even have one of those pop filters oh shit i need those i'm usually also i'm like the worst person in to be talking into a microphone in the context of covid because i'm a spitter i've discovered <laughs> <laughs> I just got real passionate when i speak especially when i'm talking about juicy Thirsty romance novels, like Percy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! On that note, I am so excited to talk about genital descriptions this week because there were some doozies. But I will tell you this: I am not excited to talk about my book because it was not good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had a similar experience. Um, and just for listeners at home, I'm not doing a poem this week because. Shit's Creek won all those Emmys. Yes. Everything. They cleaned up. They cleaned up. Um, so they won the most amount of Emmys for a Canadian ever, like a Canadian series ever. And I think they won the most amount of awards for a single comedy in a single year ever in the history of the Emmys. Ah! Amazing. Oh, well earned too. Well earned. Oh, so good. Mm -hmm. And so just like out of respect. Um, <laughs> for, out of respect for, for Laura. Laura. Yeah. I'm not going to... I'm going to do a poem this week. So. <laughs> you know what? I respect that. I salute you and your you. patriotic ways. Uh, what was our theme this week, Renee? Ooh, this one is Bougie Bitches to Electric Boogaloo. Hell yeah. yeah. And both of us this week had a real paperback book that we bought together at a value village in the Edmonton area this summer. They're literally from the same series. Yeah. So it's like, it was a series of <laughs> Millionaire of the Month is the name of the series. And I found out a little bit about the collection in mine um, because they give a little bit of the history. So I'll just start us off. Sure. Uh, this week I read An Improper Affair by Anna DePaulo. I think it's DePaulo, not DePaulo. We'll see. Um, and yes, it's part of the Millionaire of the Month collection and she says right off the jump in the book that though she wasn't at the national romance writers conference where the idea for this series was first hatched she was lucky enough to be asked to work with authors whose name she knew whose book she'd read and whom she aspired to be and get asked to write one herself so she wrote an improper affair what's interesting is anna DePaulo, so the writer of this book is actually a harvard grad and a former intellectual property lawyer what <laughs> yes <laughs> yes and that would explain the fact that so many of her books are about rich dudes she mm -hmm. has so many books about rich men <laughs> like mm -hmm. it's bananas so this book was written in 2007 um and her last book was written last year so she's still very you know, she's still out there, quite prolific. So let me set the stage for you. Um, Long-time mm -hmm. listeners, I will forewarn you, this is set in the United States, so you will not get a weird accent from me. You're either welcome or I'm sorry, depending on your point of view <laughs> on my accents. <laughs> um, but the story is about Ryan Sperling, 
who is a Silicon Valley mogul. And he made his money in something related to tech and television. She kind of explained it. I don't know if she made it up or I just don't know enough about to care. But basically, he is in this tiny community called Hunter's Landing. And he's there because truly the most batshit story, which is his old friends from college. Wanted, you know, there was a group of seven of them. And I was like, like the painters? No, no reference. Um, and they were like seven frat boys who used to get there all the time. And then one of them died very young from cancer and put in his will that all of his friends had to spend a month in the cottage. And then after each, everyone got their month at the cottage, they, um, the cottage would then be given over to a charity that would have it be kind of respite for cancer patients. Oh. So, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, the way it's written, it's written kind of like they're all sentenced to spend a month at the cottage. But I think the intent was he was like, enjoy the cottage because then it'll be taken away from you. Um, and what ends up happening is that all of these men go to this cottage in this small town and end up falling for someone or having a fling with someone. So the, the cottage gets dubbed the Love Shack. Uh, so he's there. Disrespectful. A hundo percento. And he's there and he's just kind of putzing around and he finds this little shop that he's like, ooh, that's really interesting. And it's called Distressed Success. And it's basically a hipster shop where they make, like, you know when you go to, like, hipster-type stores and everything's made to look old, but it's brand new? Like, it's yeah. kind of one of those. And he spots a curvy, which we love to see in yeah. the books, uh, Ginger, common trope, um, who is the owner of the store. And he's like, oh my god, I'm going to call her Venus because she looks like a beautiful Italian painting. Her name is actually Kelly. <laughs> and when they, he's like, you know, hey girl, what's up? Um, he buys a gift, goes to pay, asks her, like, oh, you know, like, um, she's like, you know, you're from around here, and they're both kind of giving each other the eyeballs, and then he's like, oh, what's your name? And she's like, Kelly, and he's like, Kelly who? And she says, Kelly Hartley, and he's like, da, da, da! Kelly Hartley is the daughter of his dad's mistress. Now, all of this comes out in the first four goddamn pages of this book. Like, we're hitting the ground running real quick. And then she realizes who he is and she hates him. So then it's like, ugh, gross. I'm stuck in this town for a month and there's this smoking hot woman here. But she's obviously awful because her mom was trash. And he's just like really stuck on how her mom is the source of the problem. Even though the mother wasn't married. So it was her, his dad that was having an affair and she was just getting hers. But anyways, so then launches this I hate you, I love you, I hate you, I love you common rom-com type trope. Um, so they're, you know, doing this whole thing where it's just like this. Yeah, I hate you. I hate you. And we all know where it's going. Right. <laughs> um, and so her mom, she like ends up saying you, and you kind of hear more about her mom and this is like completely cliched stuff about her mom is like this hussy basically like seduces all these people and it's so embarrassing because she's so trashy and no, 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 um, and so then she realizes like, oh, maybe if this man's around and he sucks, but I could try to get him to help me. So she wants to get distressed success stuff in her, his dad's department store. So Ryan Sperling made his own money in telecom, but his family made money owning this giant department store. 
And so she's like, okay, maybe I can get my distress stuff in your store, and this will make up for the fact that your family has ruined my family and we both hate each other. Romeo and Juliet situation, if you will. Um, so then it turns out that the person who is in charge of selling this cottage to the cancer people, unknowingly knowing the connection, hired her company to go and decorate the cottage to make it look nice for this respite. So now she has to go there every day and Ryan's like, oh, she's so hot, but I can't be with her. And then she's like, oh, he's so hot, but he's a douchebag who comes from a family of douchebags. Um, and then he kind of basically one night in a moment of weakness kisses her and she's like, ooh, but then again goes back to we can't be together because, you know, this is just weird, which I kind of get. Like your your mom and mom, you know, your mom, my dad fucked. Like that's weird. I get it. Um, so then she decides that she's going to try to make this man jealous so that he, I don't know, makes a move. Like there's no real purpose to this whole scene, but she goes to a bar dressing like hot to trot starts, you know, flirting with this guy. Ryan's there. He sees it. He interrupts in, like, the most aggro way. She's way too drunk, takes her home. I'm fucking fearing the goddamn worst. But no, he's like, no, you know, you're going to bed. You're too drunk. And then she's like, you know, it's probably for the best anyway because I've never had a man in my bed before. And he's like, are you a virgin? And she's like, ha, 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 and just, like, goes to sleep. Wakes up in the morning and she's like, oh, my God, what's happening? Um, and then decides, you know what, we really should just try to have like an actual conversation with each other as adults and hash this out. So why don't you come over to my house for dinner? Um, oh, okay. Then, you know, let's have tea now. Cause we're really hitting it off. They end up banging. Um, I will say explicit condom use, which I did appreciate. Um, and then the next day he makes some comment about like, oh, you never had a man in your bed before, have you? And she was like, what? And then completely forgot that she told him that and then feels like, oh my God, you just had sex with me because you knew I was a virgin and you know, you want to take advantage of it. So that's where the conflict comes in. And as she's storming out of the house, her mom shows up she's like, what the fuck are you doing here? And the mom is like, oh, well, I heard you were, you know, hot to trot for Ryan Sperling and I need a little bit of money. So I'm hoping you can cut me a check. Just like blatant gold digger nonsense she's like oh you guys are the worst leaves ryan does cut her a check um and has it hashes it out with her and that's when you find out that part of the reason why ryan sperling is mad at this woman is because his mom was dying so his dad had an affair on his dying mom which again not great so you kind of understand but still then there's, it builds up to this supposed giant climax where all of a sudden, out of the blue, it's really important for him to, for Ryan to oust his dad as CEO of the company. And there's no real reason why. It's never really explained why all of a sudden this is his only mission in life. But he manages to do it. He buys out everyone else, outvotes his dad, ousts him, uh, and then decides to sign an exclusive deal with Distress Success where she will sell her merch in his department store. Uh, they bone again, can't find a condom or fight with trying to figure out the condom and then realize we don't need a condom. Why don't we just start a family? I wish I was kidding you. This is all in the context of three weeks. And then it ends with a, I guess it was the love shack after all. Oh my God. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. Do you think love shack is public domain? <laughs> oh, that's an excellent question. That is an excellent question. So, wow. This book was terrible. And I'm going to play the snooty card for one hot second. 
I've written a book. I've written a bestseller. In fact, it's called Resilience is Futile, The Life and Death and Life of Julius Alone. Check it out today. Available on audiobook and as an ebook and in all of your stores. But I wrote a book that's under 200 pages. And I feel like I did a good job. So my frustration with this is that it was like, it's not just that your pacing is sped up because it's a short book. You can still have like, yeah, you can still show not tell in less than 200 pages so the writing was so bad the dialogue was atrocious all of the characters were extremely cliched like unbelievable like she's hot and busty and she doesn't even know it and like the mom is like this trashy hussy like and like he's just like a man who wants to be seen as a man it was brutal now in terms of genital descriptions there was the word erection which i haven't heard in a while in the books so i was kind of impressed by that and um, her only genital reference for Kelly's Lady Bits was damp heat. Ugh. I mean, not the worst, but not real great either. <laughs> um, and as I said, there's two sex scenes, again, written by other people, like starting to get busy in a hot tub can do that. Get out of the hot tub to like bone in bed, pull out a condom, like she puts it on him and like, it's all like hot, like. It could have been, it could have been hot, but it was not. And then at the end, literally this like, let's ditch the condoms because let's not start up. Like legitimately the guy's been there for like two weeks or three weeks. Like it's a bit much. So in terms of spice factor, um, I'm going to give it one out of five shots of B52. Because uh, <laughs> if you're going to make me fucking read something referred to as a love shack, not once, but several times in a book you're going to get some B-52s. So that is one shot of B-52 out of five for Anna DePaulo's Im- An Improper Affair, part of the Millionaire of the Month collection. Now, the last thing I will say is you should head to our socials, uh, Twitter and Instagram, Ravage Love at both, to see the covers of these books. Um, and this is how I'm going to toss it to you because the cover of my book, <laughs> he looks like a poor man's Tom Hiddleston. Yeah. So not terrible and kind of thin like not beefy and anyone who knows me knows I like my men to be snack size um so I appreciated that he wasn't just like beefy um but yeah his face uh strong jawline which I respect but definitely looks like a poor man's Tom Hiddleston which leads me to you Renee because people really need to know (laughs) what your cover reminded you of (laughs) so um my cover features a man who you know i showed it to somebody and they're like oh that's michael bolton um, and i was like oh yeah like it does, but but my character is dark hair he looks like date mike that is michael scott from the office um he looks like michael scott yeah but he looks like date mike like he looks like date mike um <laughs> and he's just like <laughs> he's just standing by this banister with his kind of hip jetted out with his finger in his belt and this open blue collared shirt um but he's anything but blue collar (laughs) (laughs) but he the thing is is the guy on the cover of my book is not the guy in the book what it's not the same person this guy looks like he's mid to late 40s um you know is wearing like a gold watch and a gold ring but in a book he's wearing like a gold medallion for the whole thing (laughs) um and his his like 
his uniform basically that they refer back to is like a white t-shirt and black slacks which is what he kind of always wears so the guy oh he also has like chin length long wavy brown hair and my guy has a short haircut and my guy's in his 30s but the guy on the cover is not so it's not the same guy <laughs> like, at, all. at all this is probably like the generic fabio for new uh romance oh, okay yeah just a meme guy um <laughs> anyway so mine was part of the rich and reclusive series um of the same series as yours um and it's called house of midnight fantasies by <laughs> christy gold <clears throat> and um i'm gonna say right off the bat this book had too much sex what too much sex it was just okay. i know and it it was just always always sex it was bad um and also because i um have no adhd medicine in my system presently i wrote down every single thing that happened um <laughs> like line for line so i've got about 10 pages here which i'm not going to read beat for beat but it's going to help me stay on track so my story starts with celine albright winston now julie what was the name of my character last week oh was it was celine yeah yeah and Celine has just left an awful marriage and um, she's headed to Louisiana. Oh my God. Because she's an interior designer and she's trying to like make her own money, get her life on track. So she goes to interview to um, refurbish and redecorate a mansion, former plantation in the bayou. Holy shit, I can't believe this. And yeah, like, these are two completely different books from completely different eras even. Yeah, yeah. Um, totally the same so Celine is from Georgia she's a Georgia peach which I loved I'm so excited just to do her accent um so she she heads to this mansion she's you know trying to like live her own life she's she comes from like a rich kind of socialite family um but she wants to kind of earn her own keep so she's left her husband she's kind of not told her family where she is she's at this mansion called um Maison de Minuit so like Midnight House um and she's you know kind of uh, going up the stairs to this house and she gets a vision of bright blue eyes and she's like oh my god what was that <clears throat> and so she enters the house and she's greeted by this woman named ella who she thinks is the owner and she's like i'm here to interview for um you know the interior designer position or covers the house um because the house is like painted black it's really like falling apart just like the other plantation last week um and she uh, gets a tour and Ella is like, you're great. I want you to come on and, and do this. Um, but she's not the owner. She's like, you know, money's no object. I'm actually the assistant to um, the owner and you'll have to meet him at some point. So um, the story goes that the house belonged to this man named Giles who died at 89 having sex with his mistress. So, you know, living his best life and dying his best death. Um, and there's like this really spooky statue up um, upstairs where it's like this demon basically like about to murder or rape a woman and it's just it just comes up a lot um <laughs> so we find, yeah we find out this house um has a reputation for tragedy and then selena is warned about the ghosts so already i'm like okay yeah yeah I a like little boo boo the phantom situation yeah yeah, yeah. Boo -boo, yeah i love <laughs> ghosts in my story so already i'm forgiving the cover of this book because I'm like, we got ghosts, we got plantation, like I'm here for it. So Adrian Morrell, 
is the owner of the plantation and he's Giles's grandson. Um, and Giles left the home to him and Adrian is not happy um, that this woman has come. Like he really doesn't want anything to do. He's like your typical broody, never leaves his office kind of guy. Um, but he sees Celine kind of in the window and he's like, oh, you know what? I think I want to like, I want to get her to leave because um, I don't really want a woman in my house. Um, and then he can't do it and almost immediately decides he's going to conquer her. He's going to fuck her. Um, but he's he's going to basically push her to the brink where she gives him permission to, which is great. I was like, consent, that's great, super duper. <clears throat> um, and so that's his plan after seeing her just briefly through a window. Um, <laughs> so Celine, yeah, so Celine is kind of excited about getting this job underway. She's really interested in history. So she decides um, she's gonna start trying to find out more about the home. So she goes into town and she meets this lady named Abby who runs like an antique shop and is like, hey, can you kind of get me people who might go work at the mansion? And she's like, no, people are scared of it. It's, uh, you know, kind of like cursed. So um, we're not gonna do that. Um, but she's like, I'll try and find some people to send your way. She's like, okay, cool. And then she's like, do you know anything about the house? And she's like, oh yeah, lovers die in that house. And she's like, what, what does that mean? She's like, I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> she's like, I don't know what that means. I can't tell you more. And she's like, but there was a woman there that, you know, people used to see in the window who's not there anymore. And she's like, oh, okay, mystery. So now she's even more determined to find out more about the house. So she kind of, she, yeah, yeah. She's like, there's ghosts. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah, she's like, there's my day, bye. Um, <laughs> so um, Celine goes back to the house and she finally meets um, Adrian Morel. And Adrian um, is like really broody. So she's kind of like, oh my God, he's way hotter than I expected. I thought he was going to be like an old gross man. Um, so they start to talk and she's like, you know, oh, I want to like make sure that I'm, you know, meeting your expectations and, you know, all of these things, but every interaction they have is just full of like innuendo and like like the whole, every single time. Cause she's like, you know, I just, I'm here to serve. And he's like, oh, really? and he's like, he's like, oh, I just expect perfection in everything that I do. So immediately I got like secretary vibes. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, this is going to be like poor man's gray, uh, like 50 shades. So, um, she, <laughs> we learned then that Celine is also drawn to like his feelings because Celine has a gift. She has the gift, Julie. Celine can read minds. Oh. And while she has never been an empath, she's now finding that she can read his emotions as well. And so she starts to realize that like he um, wants to bang her uh, because she keeps getting like images that he's thinking about. And she's like, oh, I better stay away from this guy. So she runs into him um, on the veranda. So she has a veranda um, that's attached to his room as well. So they share a veranda. And she goes outside just to check out the night and he's out there with no shirt on, which is another theme. He's just constantly not wearing a shirt. And I, I understand that it's the bayou and it's hot there. Um, mm -hmm. But like, have some respect. Like, it's just you and two ladies. Like, ain't nobody want to see your nipples. Um, as my daughter would say. So, <laughs> uh, so we learned that um, on top of the fact that Adrian demands and expects perfection from everybody, he has a tattoo that says Imperium, uh, Imperium something, which means absolute power. 
So again, that just it, oh. it drives home the fact that there's going to be these like weird BDSM vibes. Yeah. So one thing, or one white thing, supremacist. Anyways, <laughs> right. <laughs> That's yeah. also that. Uh, so one thing that um, Celine is noticing with her gift is that um, <laughs> that he. As much as he's like power hungry for things, he also is holding on to a great sadness. And she can't, she can't like figure out what it is because those kind of thoughts are blocked from her. But um, she gets this like this name in her head all of a sudden. That's Chloe. And she's like, oh my god, who's Chloe? And so she goes to talk to Ella, who's like the housekeeper and the assistant. And she's like, don't ever mention Ella's name again. You don't want to open that door. And she's like, okay. And also there is literally a forbidden door in the house. <laughs> um, so after the interaction with um, Adrian on the veranda, she um, gets like an image of him fantasizing about banging her. Um, so now she, ha she has like access to his actual fantasies. Um, and so she decides she's gonna try and just like keep that at bay she like for so much of the book the the way she's talking is she's really scared and hesitant um which made me really scared for her mm -hmm. she was just like this weird predator like always on the prowl or like touching her titty or something and she was like Haha, i like it but it's weird and so i felt really uncomfortable for her for the first part of the book okay. so <clears throat> there's this big portrait of this woman named grace in the hallway she wants to learn more about the house so she asks adrian who's grace like who is this he's like oh i actually have something that you might want to see why don't you come um up to my like study later and i'll and i'll show it to you but he won't tell her what it is so i'm like girl you're gonna get raped but we know that he's actually in the process of setting up a seduction so he's not gonna do it yet but he's he, he's got the wheels in motion so she goes with him to his study and then i guess um he like climbs these stairs and she's like, what is this place? And he says, it's the Gassonyai, which is the same thing in my other book, which mm -hmm. I learned in this book. It's a bachelor pad. So it's like this other floor for bachelors. Um, and there's all these books. It's his library. And he gives her this journal. And he's like, I found this in the house. I think it belonged to the woman in the portrait. I've marked a passage for you to read. So can you just read it out loud to me? And she's like, but have you read it? He's like, yeah, she's like, well, I'll read it on my own time. He's like, no, no, read it to me. And he's, she's like, okay. So he basically tricks her into reading this really spicy sex scene out of this this journal from like a hundred years before. And she's really uncomfortable. And he's like kind of getting up on her. And she's like, okay, bye. And she runs away. Um, but the more time they spend together, the kind of closer she gets to him psychically. And finally he approaches her um, with this whole idea of like seduction where he's like, I want to fuck you. So like, let's do that. But then he's like, I have you know, I have pretty, pretty unusual desires. And she's like, oh my God, like, like what? And basically his unusual desire is just not having sex in a bed. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, so they don't have, yeah, they don't have sex in a bed until like the end of the book when they're obviously in love. Um, so that happens. And then he sends Ella away because he wants to have like a week with her with like no outside contact um and she's like all right like you're my boss um and obviously i can't say no to you or i lose this job so i guess we're fucking for like a week um and so she's got his he's got his like his like power tattoo he's got this like medallion this gold medallion around his neck that has like a snake on it and it means like absolute or it means like willpower so he like he spends all of this time edging her basically for like multiple interactions um because he finds out that like 
her ex-husband wasn't good to her and valued her. So he's like, I want to make you feel so good. But everything is like an innuendo. So he's like, she's like, oh, I didn't think you'd be coming. He's like, I'll be making you come. <laughs> like, oh. that's the whole book. Um, So blah, blah, blah. They have all these sexual encounters. Um, He's not letting her kind of ask him about this other woman. Um, That's the whole book for most of it. And then she realizes like she has feelings for him she decides to like turn the tables when she finds out he is actually planning a seduction and then she's like i need to save him from his his sadness and his fear and he's got to let me in so i need to dominate him to do that so she basically just starts recreating the fantasies that he has that she keeps seeing oh so, yeah that's God. yeah that's what happens and again too much sex there's too much sex in this book um what else? Yeah, that's literally it for the majority of the book. They finally, like, she kind of starts to bring down his defenses. But then she wakes up one day um, after they've been boning and has this vision of a woman, like, from the point of view of a woman being strangled. And the last thing she sees is, like, his medallion. So she's like, oh, my God, she, he killed somebody. So we got to... I had to figure out what's happening. So Ella at this point is back and she's like, Ella, you have to tell me everything. Um, and you know, cause I think he's a murderer and she's like, Oh, you don't understand. So it turns out Chloe was his sister, like his half sister. And, uh, they went rock climbing and she fell and became like a quadriplegic. And so they went to take care of her, but she like, um, her health degraded over time. And then I guess she, falls asleep and dies in her sleep and Adrian blames himself. So that's why he's like a trash brooder basically. Um, and yeah, that's it. And then at one point, the way she gets into the, all the history of the house is that she finds out that there was this man named Jeb and Jeb's grandmother or great grandmother was friends with grace who lived in the house. And the reason the house feels haunted is because grace um, and her baby died before she was set to give birth. And then the guy who owned the house went nuts. And then like, that's it. That's the ghost story. But Jeb's like, I can tell you have the gift. And she's like, how did you know? And he's like, I too have the gift because he can talk to ghosts, I guess. Um, and yeah. So the whole idea is she finds out that he actually didn't kill this woman, but he has to get her to like, or she has to get him to like, um, like admit it because she thinks he can only heal if he's honest and open with her. And uh, she has to leave because her sister has a baby. And then she, he knows at this point that she's got the gift, even though he doesn't believe it. So he uses his mind to send her a message about like, I need you. So she leaves her sister who just had a baby to go be with this man. Cause he needs her more, I guess. Um, and then she's like, damn it, Adrian, you have to say the words that you love me. Don't just think it. And he does, and they get married. They get married? Yeah, they get married. And then epilogue, and I'm going to read part of the epilogue. It, it, nothing happened. It was just them fucking him brooding over the fact that he felt like he was losing control of his life and his power over this woman, her being able to read his thoughts, meeting a guy who could talk to ghosts. Um, learning In less them. than 200 pages. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we learned that the house, the, the Maison de Minuit used to be the house of sunshine. Um, but the guy whose wife and child died went be, like developed a drinking problem and painted the house black. <laughs> so, 
So now it's Maison Minuit. <clears throat> so part of like Adrian's redemption and like Celine's finding herself is that she's going to turn it back into the Maison de uh, the, the House of Sunshine. And uh, Jeb, who's like a hundred years old, literally, is like, I will hang on until I can come see this house myself. And she's like, okay. And he does. Um, and then Celine and uh, Adrian have a baby that they named Chloe, because obviously, and then Jeb becomes like a surrogate grandfather to Chloe. Um, and they're just in love. She finished the renovation. She offered, she has like a company out of the house now. You know, that, that's it. That was the book. There's really like no, there's no drama beyond how much they fucked and how like uncomfortable it is. I'm not even reading, I'm not even going to read a sex scene today because every single one was so comfortable. There was no genital descriptions at all. Oh it was gosh. like her hardness, her wetness, oh. like that. kind. Of, and I, I think I can't, I actually can't even tell you if they did mention her vagina at any point, but <clears throat> there was a part where. Like, just to, like, even give you a sense of how this book was written. Um, there's a scene where Adrian runs out to the veranda and it says, and it was as empty as his soul. Um, he's also a tantric sex master. Oh, so, you know, of course I'm just like, I'm like, Ugh, bro, Ugh. like, it's awful. Um, yeah, and then Celine's like, I have to control him. So I have to go learn how to be a tantric sex master. So for she reads a book for two hours and she's like, I did it. Oh, my god renee yeah, okay I, I i first of all your book gave me like as you were describing it i was picturing like yeah 50 shades yeah like poor man's 50 shades which is already poor man's twilight <laughs> <laughs> right so it's like we've already gone like we're real poor now um mixed with like I don't know. I was getting kind of like a beauty and the beast vibe. Yes! I think was, okay. Because of the yes. house, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Like the, the one there was like forbidden room. I was like, don't go to the West wing. Like, that's yes. All I think. yes. I was like, there's a yeah. rose in there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that's, that's kind of the energy that I'm getting. Um, and again, I'm just flabbergasted that all of that. And just like inserting like, Oh, she can read minds. Like, yeah. Like that was too. so, so unexpected. Like if you look at the cover, it's just it's just date Mike standing by a ban like a banister. That's yeah. it. There's not even a picture of Celine in this. It's just date Mike at the banister with a Rolex. Like that's it. it. So it's like you don't you don't know there's gonna be anything. Yeah. Um, but like I'll read you the back of it because even this doesn't give it away. It says interior. It says master of the house. Interior designer Celine Winston had arrived to remodel his mansion, not tangle in the sheets with her brutally handsome new boss. And yet the reclusive Adrian Morel haunted her dreams. His fantasies played through her mind. And like, I didn't pick up anything about mind reading from that. Um, then soon she found herself succumbing to Adrian's magnetic power, but he was not about to walk out of the shadows with her. If she wanted more than a midnight lover, Celine would have to tame the beast beyond the bedroom door. So like Beauty and the Beast, bingo. You're right. Absolutely. That is a hundred percent the vibe I got. Yeah, the whole book is about her feeling like she has to save him, which I was like, Ugh. Yeah, I mean, we're very uninterested in this. Um, yeah. Save yourselves, oh, men. Th there's a part where he's like, um, you know, did you buy condoms? And she's like, or he was she going to town. He's like, well, go pick. Do you need to pick up condoms? And she's like, he's like, well, I'm on the pill. And he's like, well, 
I'm clean, which I hate. I hate when we say that. Like I'm clean, like STDs are disgusting and awful. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a part of life. And then um, she's like, well, I'm clean too. And, you know, she goes on this thing in her mind about how, like, after she found out her husband was cheating on her, that like she went and got tested for everything. But which I was, I was happy they had the discussion, Mm -hmm. but then they just didn't use condoms. Oh my God. It was a really quick conversation and like they hadn't had sex yet it was just like he had like pleasured her which was you know good but i'm finding that's that's always the thing like i i haven't read a story where the first interaction they have is banging yeah you're right there seems to be like a real um build-up yeah like they're trying to build sexual tension i guess yeah or just tension in the book or both i don't know but yeah there's definitely like a very chaste even the ones like yours where they fuck a ton of times it still has like a bit of a but don't worry they're not whores yeah exactly um and so i'm just i you know the themes i'm noticing in the books that we read is that they're very obviously directed at women and i i can see and i've myself experienced um feeling sad reading some of these love stories because they're completely unattainable and if you can't read a book with that lens like if you hate the book i find it doesn't come up but like my book last week that i really really enjoyed i was really sad because i was like oh this is really lovely i was like and i'm never gonna have that and i was like <laughs> upset and so i'm i'm thinking about what would like what would a woman let's say like maybe like a single woman like the the stereotype of like the romance reader like what's going through her head and her heart if she reads these constantly? Like, is she a believer in true love or is she sad because like it it's maybe not attainable? Like <clears throat> I'd be really, really interested to talk to maybe like an older woman who who's read a ton of romance novels, but been single her whole life. Like, what is that like? Uh-huh. Um, and it's like, do you masturbate to these books? Like, do you just get hot and flustered? Because I've I've gotten hot and flustered from some of my stories, but I'm usually reading when my kids are running around. So I'm just like, snap out of it, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I, I am noticing, yeah, that the, it's always like they meet, they want to hate each other, but they can't um, help the attraction they feel. It's always very like carnal. And um, there's always some kind of special thing about the woman, even if it's just red hair. and they never bang at first it's always about the woman being pleasured which is great um this scene did have a blowjob scene which i have not read yet oh Um, that's so funny because mine did too oh what year was yours 2007 okay mine was 2006 yeah so mine was like she blew him for a bit and then put the condom on um so yeah and i did notice too that so far of the books we've read which we've read quite a few there is like part of how you know the female gaze is involved is that there's always been some semblance of foreplay and a lot of enjoyment of titty (laughs) experience like straight men actually don't love titty as much as like mainstream (laughs) pop culture wants us to believe you know what i mean like they make it seem like everyone's like titty 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 um, but sometimes they just like, you know, grab a handful and move on. But this, they're like taking their time to get yeah. in, 
just so much motorboating, so much, so much of sucking of nipples. That's like a constant one in almost every book where there's a sex scene, except for the Amish because they are better than all of us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So are you, you're going to read one of the few parts that aren't a sex scene? Yeah, I'm reading the last page and a half. Um, and you're, because of what, because of what you said about Love Shack, like it's perfect. <laughs> Oh, I'm excited. Okay. Yeah. So to just to set it up, it's like um, it was Chloe's birthday, her second birthday. Um, Jeb, her her ghost scene uh, circuit grandpa came and, you know, he was like, uh, oh, I'll, you know, I'll stay alive a little bit longer if I keep getting pie. Ha 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 ha. Um, and so Chloe is going away to visit, um, do a family visit with Ella, who's not family, but like whatever, they all act like family. So Celine and Adrian are finally going to have some alone time. And this is how the book ends. So, <clears throat> uh, um, she, she pulled his arms tighter against her and laughed. Unless Ella's going to let her take the wheel as soon as they pull into the interstate. I think we have about 15 years or so to worry about that. We're talking about the daughter driving. Um, it'll be here before we know it. So true, Celine thought. The past two years had practically flown by, yet she had stored every memory in the haven of her heart. After the vehicle disappeared from sight, she turned to find Adrian sporting the somber expression. What's wrong, Adrian? And don't make me climb into that mind of yours to find out. Something she had promised not to do, and as uh, and she hadn't, though she still tended to send out mental signals, especially when he wanted her, and that had been often. Nothing's wrong. I was just thinking about how she would have loved you, how much you would have loved her. Celine didn't have to ask who her was. If she was anything like her brother, that's definitely true. She rose up on tiptoe and kissed his lips. Now that we have a whole week of free time, how do you propose we spend it? In bed. She couldn't help but tease him a little. Well, considering your daughter inherited your insomniac ways, we could probably use a few good nights sleep. He pulled her against him and kneaded her bottom with his palms. That's not what I meant, you know. I know no such thing, because the only time we utilize the bed is to sleep. He ran his tongue along the shell of her ear. Okay then, let's go to the blue parlor. She shivered. We've been in there. In fact, I believe we've been in every room at least once, if not twice since they were complete. Adrian donned the look that had enchanted her from the moment she met him. Have you ever made love against a tree, Mrs. Morell? Yes, Mr. Morell, and I'd prefer the Red Room to Barkburns. Then the Red Room it is, he grinned, as long as you agree to something first. You know I'm always open to all the possibilities. Would you be open to having another baby? Since they hadn't really talked about another child, Celine was more than open to discuss it now. I would not be opposed to having a son, especially if you live like me, since our daughter doesn't. Adrian shook his head. I prefer girls. They're much more interesting and complex than the male species. Adrian, you're anything but simple. He still uh, retained that complexity, a riddle Celine might never solve. Yet that mystery kept her on her toes and their relationship as exciting as it had been since the day they'd met. Following a down and dirty kiss and a few suggestive touches, Adrian said, why don't we take this inside and start on that baby? She squeezed his bottom. Best idea you've had all day. You can play the tortured hero and I'll be the bell from hell. We can play it however you want to, babe, as long as we play. 
As they headed into their house, arms around waists, Celine realized how very far they had come from sullen sadness to easy laughter, from the shadows into the sunshine. As he'd promised, Adrian had taken her to special places both outside and inside his private world. But most importantly, he had shown her his heart that had finally begun to heal, as well as the absolute power of love. The end. What? <laughs> Sometimes I am frightened, but I'm ready to learn about the power of love. Ooh, speaking of Celine, am I right, lady? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I kept telling myself, I was like, girl, don't say Celine, don't say Celine. <laughs> and that's how they ended the book. Power of love. That's okay. And that's House of Midnight Fantasies from the Rich and Reclusive uh, uh, book series uh, written by Christy Gold. Thank you. Whew. Okay. Hit me, so- girl. You've inspired me to read um, a portion of a sex scene. Okay. In part because I think it's a really, one, because yours was so thirsty and yet you didn't read a sex scene. But also because this, I think, is just a good example of how bad the writing is and how zero, (laughs) like how it's just not hot. Like how you can describe sex and have it not be hot is just, it's almost a gift, frankly. So here I am. But you made me love you. I love you too, she said shakily. He leaned in for another kiss, one that quickly turned hot and full of promise. She pulled him closer, her fingers splaying and delving into his hair as he plundered her mouth. When they finally broke apart, they both took labored breaths. I need... make... They both stopped and Ryan grinned. Bed, he said simply. Somehow, they made it up the stairs into her bedroom. She went to him then and stood by the bed, sandwiched between his legs. He went to work on the buttons of her blouse, kissing each end of her skin as it was exposed. She sighed and held held him to her. Outside, the storm continued to rage, beating against the windows, but inside they were locked in their own world. He peeled the blouse from her, then gazed into her eyes. I've been a fervent admirer of your breasts. She laughed. I thought I saw you looking. It was impossible not to. And yet you resisted me. It was a losing battle. Then his mouth nestled in the dark valley created by her cleavage, placing moist kisses there. Kelly gave a low moan. When he released the clasp of her bra, her breasts fell into his hands like ripe fruit, tight and firm, and he needed them until she felt warmth spread within her. Her skirt hit the floor next, and his hands smoothed up and down the side of her thigh. Fantastic legs, too, he murmured. Being on my feet all day gives them plenty of exercise, she demurred. You're the total package, beautiful inside and out. She was sensitized to react to his every word, his every look, his every touch. He undid his shirt, then stood, and between increasingly passionate kisses, he let her help him off with the rest of his clothing. Her hand grazed his erection, stoking their need as their breathing became heavy with desire. Once he'd lowered her panties and she'd stepped out of them along with her slipper-footed mules so that they were both near naked, he stumbled her onto the bed next to him and began to caress her. She arched to his touch, feeling him bringing her to life with every masterful stroke. When he re- reached the spot at the juncture of her thighs, her world tilted, her breathing coming in audible gasps. He licked, and she was on fire. He refused to relent, however, until she trembled and shook against him, cresting on a wave of deliverance and emotion that left her spent and replete at the same time. He moved next to her then, 
driving need stamped onto his face, heavy on the scent of his skin and etched in the tension of his muscles. Protection, he rasped, looking around at the jumble of his clothes. You know I haven't been with anyone since. He went still. It was a long time for me before you and I, and I've been tested. Me too. Are you sure? Her heart opened. Would it be so bad if we got started on kids sooner rather than later? Heck no, he said. <laughs> I want it all, she said. The career, the kids, you. Then there was no talking as he gathered her against him. He positioned himself and slid into her on a wave of mingled moans and sighs, and together they began to ride the wave. She hung on to him, her hands low on his hips, meeting his thrusts, which sent them higher and higher until they came at the same time. She called his name as she felt him groan harshly against her neck. Afterwards, they lay together in bed, hearing the storm wreak its havoc outside. I can't believe you drove here in this weather, she said in disbelief. His hands moved up and down her arm. My month is almost up. I came as soon as I dealt with the fallout from my takeover of Swirling Ink. I knew I had to resolve what was between us before I left. Just think, she responded. If you hadn't been forced to spend a month at the cottage, we never would have met. And then they just talk shit about business in bed, which seems like a weird thing to do post-coitus, but you do you. I prefer snacks, but you prefer to talk about taking over your dad's business. Did they climax and I missed it? Oh yeah, they came at the same time. Oh, I totally, maybe I just zoned out because it was boring. (laughs) Right? Yeah, I was like... Can you imagine, you've known someone for three weeks, and they're like, ditch condoms, let's make a baby. And they're like, cool. You know, I've known it to happen. Um, Not to me. (laughs) It has happened. Not that it's a good choice. It's just No. I mean, maybe if it's in the love shack. But uh, yeah, I would give An Improper Affair by Anna DiPaolo a thumbs down. Uh, yeah. Not good. And like I said, that was supposed to be a spicy scene. And it was chock-a-block of cliches and it was just awful. Mm. So <clears> not sad <throat> to be down my book this week, Renee. I'm not going to lie to you. No. And you know what? Um, I actually didn't rate my book. I don't have a good rating for it because it wasn't spicy. Um, but I'm going to give it um, one out of five... Um, fancy drinks whatever date mike would drink at a club um just because there was so much sex and there was there was so many orgasms like that was one of the themes like she was just having multiple orgasms all the time she's like i've never so um yeah you know what but i am excited for next week because we do have a whole stack of these old books so old in fact some of them don't even have barcodes yes yeah we have so many different themes to choose from and so it's going to be it's going to be exciting and fun and I'm yeah. sure we'll find other opportunities to read some of these old books as well. Um, Absolutely. Next week is Pulp Fiction and they are, oh my God, I'm so excited to crack them open. So thank you for giving me some. Oh, you're so welcome. And thank you to the kind lady in Edmonton who I bought them from. Yeah. Love it. Like mine, there's some I have that are from like the forties. Like yeah. they're so old. I'm so excited. And I feel like I need to read them with like white gloves. <laughs> Uh, I know, I know. There was one that was like in plastic. Yeah, like they're yeah. in incredible shape. So actually, they would probably sell really well at Distress Success um, because they're <laughs> very old but in wonderful shape. So yeah, join us next week where we read some old ass pulp fiction. I'm so excited to find out if they're super spicy or not spicy. Whew, I'm so excited. So excited. All right, Julie. Well, it was a pleasure. 
Always. Do you want to sing us out? Sure do. Ravage love. Ravage love. Bye. Bye. Artwork for the podcast was created by Karen McKnight. Special thanks to Press Start to Join for production assistance. For gaming and tech news, search Press Start to Join or on social media at PS, the number two, J Show. Connect with us online at Ravage Love on Instagram and by email at ravagelove.podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.